Well, this morning I am beginning a new sermon series that I've entitled Waiting for God. Uh, this is Advent. Again, as I mentioned, one of the main themes of Advent is waiting, waiting for the first coming of Christ and then, of course, waiting for his return as well. And certainly many of you are familiar with waiting. This season is particularly uh, filled with times of waiting, whether you're waiting in long lines to get into a store or to, check, to check out or uh, waiting for a package to arrive, waiting for the meat thermometer to hit 160 so you can take the turkey out, waiting for your family to arrive or in some cases for your family to leave. And then on a deeper, more emotional level, certainly there's all kinds of times we're waiting as well, waiting on God, waiting on God for a loved one to come to faith in Christ maybe, waiting for uh, our physical health to improve or our mental health to improve, waiting for a relationship to be reconciled, waiting for God to change somebody else or maybe to change us, waiting for God to answer prayers that we've offered in tears and in faith. Waiting can be frustrating, it can be painful, it can be heartbreaking and confusing, and it often leads to questions, where are you, God? What's taking so long? Why won't you answer my prayers? Do you love me? Do you care for me? It's like, think of the psalmist in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Those are questions of waiting, aren't they? How long? When, God, will you arise? When, God, will you act? When, God, will you answer my prayers? So Advent, it's a season about waiting, waiting for God. And throughout the biblical story, there are certain times where the theme of waiting was particularly prominent. Uh, You can think of, we're going to look today at Abram and Sarai waiting for the child of promise. You have the disciples, I'm sorry, the uh, people of Israel waiting for the Messiah to come and save and deliver them. You have after Jesus' death, the disciples waiting for the resurrection. And then after his ascension, waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in the end, waiting for his return. And we're going to look at these different times throughout the Bible where the people of God had to wait on God. So we can hopefully understand better, how do we wait for God? How do we wait when it seems like God is absent or delayed or not coming through? And so this morning, the first major story we're going to look at is the story from Genesis of Abram. And Sarai and the promised child. If you know the story, Abram and Sarai had no children. They lived in a place called Haran. And one day God spoke to Abram these words in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, and as as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God appears to Abram and calls him out of his country and and, and from his family. And he brings him into this land, the land of the Canaanites. He says, I'm going to give you and your offspring this land. Even though he's 75 years old, if you read that carefully. And he and Sarai have no children because Sarai is barren and can't have children. And God comes and promises them, you will have a child. Now, time goes by. 
and God doesn't seem to be coming through on that promise. The years pass. Abram is 85 now, and in Genesis 15, God appears again to him and reiterates the promise. He says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now you can see as if, it's as if Abram's been waiting for this moment for God to appear so he could ask him this question. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Now, I can't really fault Abram. God had promised him a child, and now 10 years have passed. 10 years have passed, and no child has come. And so finally, when Abram hears the voice of God again, he quickly raises his hand to ask a question. When's this child coming? Because right now, if I died, my property is going to my servant. But God promises him again, the child will come. So the years pass, the years pass. And finally, Sarah, who was not part of this conversation between Abram and God, is fed up and says, maybe my husband just is imagining things and not hearing things correctly. So she comes up with a plan to make this child happen a little faster. Genesis 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for this wrong I am suffering. I put my servants in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son he had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Okay, so 10 long years passed between the time when first God tells Abram that you're going to have a son. He's asking, he's trying to figure out, and finally Sarah says, I'm tired of waiting. Let's make a child this way. Because in those days, because the servant was the property of Hagar, if the husband had a son or daughter with the maidservant, that child would belong to Sarai, the mistress. It's an odd way as we look back at it from our perspective, but from them, 
it's Sarai's way of saying, okay, maybe this is what God meant, right? Maybe God meant that you're supposed to sleep with my maidservant and produce a child that way, and that will be the child of promise. Because obviously, Abram, you, may, you seem to have heard God wrong because it's been 10 years and nothing has happened. Remember that in those days, a woman's self-worth was very much tied into whether or not she could have children. And so as soon as Hagar becomes pregnant, she starts to despise Sarai, setting off all this firestorm of fighting here. And so they decide to take matters into their own hands because God is taking a little bit too long and try to produce this child. And as you can see from the description of the son Ishmael, he's going to be what? A wild donkey of a man. And he says he's going to live in hostility towards all his brothers. And many of you know, of course, that Ishmael is where the Muslims trace their descendants from, whereas Isaac, who will then come to Abram and Sarah eventually, is where the Israelites trace their descendants from. So even though this may seem like a strange concept, an odd story to you, where you have these childless couple and they decide to produce a child this way instead of waiting on God, it's not as foreign as you may think. There are many ways, I believe, in which we try to do the same thing. Instead of waiting on God, we try to manufacture the blessing, try to produce it ourselves because we're tired of waiting on God or we just don't trust him enough. As a pastor, I'm aware of this tendency. I know that you know, at, at a church, you can place music a certain kind of way. You can, you can manipulate the lighting you can preach in a certain way. You can do all sorts of things to try to influence people into thinking, you know, the Holy Spirit has descended in the room and, and, and things are going, you know, that somehow God is on the move. When all, In reality, it's just man-made manipulation. You can use clever marketing and business strategies and things like that to make it seem like God is doing amazing things when all along it's just human marketing. That's all it is. There's ways in which instead of waiting on God and seeking him for his blessing, we can try to manufacture it ourselves in the church. And in our personal lives, we can do the same thing. You know, maybe instead of waiting on God for uh, the romantic partner you're waiting for, you're trying to manufacture it and make it happen yourself in some way. Maybe you're trying to control and manipulate people in your life. Anyone ever try to manipulate another person and control them to become the person you want them to be instead of praying and waiting on God and serving them and and hoping that God instead will do what he needs to do in his timing. This story of Abram and Sarai waiting for the promised child is this great picture of what happens when instead of waiting on God and his promises, we decide to take matters into our own hands and manufacture the blessing ourselves and make it happen. And if you don't care, all you want is the child. You don't care if it's a wild donkey of a child, then well, you might as well go that route. But if we truly want it to be God's blessing, God's work, then it's going to involve waiting on him. And so let me share three things from this passage about what we need to know when it comes to waiting on God and waiting for God. The first, I would say, is this. Know his promises. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4, Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through, him, through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Before we start talking about trusting and waiting on God, let me say clearly, and I hope you hear clearly, sometimes we're trusting on God for things he's never promised. Right? 
Sometimes you're trusting on God and declaring things that he's never promised. So you need to know what he has promised, what his promises are. This word that he gave to Abram and Sarai that I will give you a son in your old age isn't necessarily the promise he's given to every single one of you, right? And some of you know you've prayed and asked God for a child, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's promised every single person a child. He has not promised that every person will become a believer. He has not promised that life will be easy. He has not promised that every disease will be healed, that you will be loved by every single person out there. There's a lot of things he has not promised. And so I'm not saying just declare whatever it is you want and call it the promise of God. You need to know what it is that God has promised. Let me give a few examples. Seven. You know, there's a lot of promises of God. Let me just throw some of them out there. Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's in the end of a passage where he says, don't concern yourself getting all worried about clothing and food and all these things. You worry about seeking first God's kingdom, and he'll take care of those things. Romans 8, 28 to 29, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What's the promise there? That those who love God, those who know God, that God will always be working things together for good, even the things that seem completely terrible in your life, that he is always working for good, and what's the good, according to this passage? To conform you to the image of his son, to make you like Christ. Don't misread that passage. It's not saying everything's going to turn out exactly the way you want it to be. That's not the good he's talking about there. The good is to make you like Christ. How about Philippians 4, 12 through 13? I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What's the promise there? Whether you're rich or poor, whether you have all the food you want in the pantry or no food at all, that he will give you the strength to be able to be content in any and every circumstance. How about Matthew eleven twenty-eight? 28? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's the promise. Come to me. I will give you rest. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In your time of need, what does he say? The promise is come to the throne, come to Jesus, who sympathizes with your weakness, who's been through what you've been through. And you will find grace and mercy to help you in your time of need. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. In your weakness, he will be strong. John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There's a couple promises there, right? The first promise is you're going to have trouble in this world. This world is not going to be easy. This life is not easy. But take heart, he's overcome the world. This world is not all there is. I encourage you, step one, 
waiting for God, get to know his promises. Understand what he has promised and what he has not promised. You know, one of the first books I ever had, ever bought when I was a, a new believer was one of these Bible promises books. You can get them for like $1.99, you know. I encourage you, and of course now you can just go online probably and just Google the promises of God, but I encourage you to have a book like that or have a collection of the promises of God. Know what it is that he has promised and what he has not promised. And can I encourage you to read those promises in context too, right? Because sometimes God promises things to people long ago that are not promises for us today. But you need to know what God has promised if you're going to know how to best wait for God. In Abram and Sarai's case, God had promised them, I will provide a child for you. And they got tired of waiting. Maybe they misheard God. He's taking too long here. It's been 10 years since the promise. And so they tried to manufacture the blessing and make it happen and cause a great deal of strife for the rest of human history. Wait on God and his promises. Second, how to wait on God. First, know his promises. Secondly, trust him to be faithful to his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul writes this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That's a promise about his promises right there. Every promise he says that he has made is yes in Christ. It will come to pass. And all we need to do, it says, is say the amen. Let it be so. We agree with you, God. We agree with your word. We trust you to fulfill your promises. One of the best promises in the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, is Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? That would have been a great word for Abram to speak to Sarai when she came to him and said, listen, maybe you just need to sleep with Hagar to produce this child because God's not coming through. To say, no, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Get to know the promises of God and trust that he will be faithful to his promises. It may not be in the timing that you want them to be, but he will be faithful to his promises. So what's the third? What's, what do you need to do then? Walk in faithfulness while you wait on him. Walk in faithfulness while you wait on him. If you didn't notice when we read through those promises earlier, yes, there's a promise that God has given that he is going to come through on that he'll be faithful to, but there's also a part for you to play in each of those promises. It's not you go sit on the couch, you know, and just take it easy, and God's going to come through on all these promises for you. Look again at the promises I gave you. Matthew 6.33, I highlighted it for you. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things will be given to you as well. God's promise is, I will take care of your needs, the clothing, the food, the things that you need. Your part is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to live for God, to put him first, and he will take care of your needs. Romans 8, 28 to 29. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The promise is for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. It's not for everyone. It's for those who love him. Love him. He will work everything out for good. 
Philippians 4, 12 through 13. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The encouragement is to look to him who gives you strength, not to do things in your own strength, in your own power, but to look to the one who will strengthen you that no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, he will provide and take care of you and strengthen you. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Where does the rest come from? It comes from him. When you come to him, when you seek him in prayer, when you come to him in worship. Again, you have a part to play in these promises. They're not just given to the one lying on the couch waiting for them to come. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What do you need to do? Come to Jesus, come to the throne, come in prayer. Seek him that he might give you the grace and mercy you need to help you in your time of need. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Humility, honesty, not afraid to confess my weaknesses so that his power may rest on me. John 16, 33, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Trust in him. Do you understand? His promises don't come to those just sitting on the couch. The promises are given to those who will respond in faith. Who will seek him. Come to him. Pray. Trust in him. So bring your doubts. Bring your fears. Bring your questions. Bring your anger even to the one who will give you grace to help you in your time of need. Be faithful to him as you wait on him and he'll fulfill your promises. So what is going on in your life right now and where are you finding yourself in God's waiting room? What are you waiting on him for? Are you waiting on him to change someone around you? To change you? To bring healing? Whatever it is you're waiting on, get to know what he has truly promised. Don't stake your faith on something he's never promised to deliver, but get to know his promises and then trust him to fulfill those promises and then be faithful to him while you wait I know it's scary to look at Abram and Sarah and think, 10 years? You know? 75 years old, God comes and says, you're going to have a child? And then it's like every day, it's like, but 10 long years, they wait until finally she becomes pregnant. Be faithful to him while you wait. God eventually gave them Isaac, the child of promise. And them trying to manufacture the child and bringing Ishmael to the world, this wild donkey of a man, did not help the situation at all. Trust him to be faithful. Be faithful and walk in faithfulness while you wait. just wanted to close with one story from my life that I look back on as a, a story where I had to walk through this kind of waiting on God and not trying to manufacture it. This is way back to when I was the youth pastor of this church back in about 1999, the year 2000. And we were meeting, it was the second year of my, my time here as a youth pastor, we were meeting in my apartment in Manchester, the yarn mills, if anyone knows the mills in Manchester. Love those apartments. Only downside is that the walls are paper thin 
And as you can imagine, having a youth group meeting, uh, it, was, it was terrible on my neighbors. And I felt terrible about it because we'd have 20 kids packed into my apartment and congas and loud music and partying and all that. And it just was terrible for my neighbors. So praying that God would provide a place with no neighbors. And my friends, Dave and Scott, who lived down the hall from me, we decided we'd go and, uh, and try to find a place where we could live together. And I remember taking out a map and circling on a map, kind of, this is where I think it needs to be, kind of in the southern Manchester, northern Glastonbury location. This is where I believe we need, to, we need to find this house. And the things I was asking for God to provide, I was asking, you know, we needed like breakout rooms for small groups. So if we could have different rooms for kids to meet in, uh, we needed a house with easy access for parents where they could pull in and drop off because we're going to have, you know, 10, 15 cars showing up at one time. So we needed to be able to have easy access for parents to drop in uh, and pick up and drop off their kids. And then my friend Dave had a request too. He was hoping for a, a garage for his Mustang. Um, and so that's kind of what we had on our list to bring to God. And the problem was our lease was ending and I was going away on a mission trip the last week. And so we looked around and the day before I went away on this mission trip, this house came on the market in East Hartford and it was just outside of the circle I had drawn. And it had a, a U shape for a drive, which was going to be okay, but not great. Uh, and, it, and it had Really small rooms, really wasn't kind of good rooms for breakouts, but it was kind of like, well, this is the last moment, you know, like the last day here. But in the end, I said, you know what? This is not what I believe God has for us. This is not what I believe we're looking for. So we're going to say no to this house. And I went away on the mission trip for the last week and hoped that God would provide. And of course, I called up Scott, my friend, on the last day before I came home. And he said, okay, there's a house that just came on the market. And I think, I think it's the right one for us, a house for rent. It's down the street from where we're currently living. It used to be a store, so it's got a parking lot for a driveway, and it's got sliding doors between the rooms, and it's got even a, a, a two-car garage a, you know, detached from the house with a room off to the side of it. And so we went, and, but we needed to kind of let our landlord know, listen, if we could just have a couple extra days, we got to wait till Eric comes back, we go look at it. And we went. And it was down the street, and, and it was this, this beautiful green and purple house on Hartford Road in Manchester. And it was it. And we, we signed the lease, and we moved in, the three of us, and it was this place where we were able to have youth group there for the next three or four years uh, while I was the youth pastor here. And it was this great just story in my life of being able to not try to manufacture the blessing and, well, maybe it's this, maybe this is what God meant, but to trust in what I believe God had promised and wait on him to provide. And even though, of course, God waited to the last possible moment to provide, he did provide even the two-car garage for the Mustang. And so again, I encourage you, the story of Abraham and Sarai, I know you're all waiting in different areas in your life, waiting for God to act, waiting for God to come through. And I want to encourage you not to try to manufacture God's blessing, but to wait on him, to seek him, to trust him. You have a part to play, to be faithful to him. Know his promises. Trust that he will be true to his promises and walk in faithfulness while you wait. My hope for you and my hope for our church is that we would be marked by great faith, amen? That this church and our lives would be marked by great faith, that we would see God things that we would see God do things that would be God things that only God could do, not things that we could manufacture on our own, but things that only God could do because we waited on him. So let's spend a little time in prayer and then we're going to respond in worship. Father, we do ask that you would help us to trust you.
to know your promises, to walk in faithfulness as we wait for you to fulfill your promises to us. We want you to do God things in our lives and in our church. We don't want to try to manufacture things, but we want to wait and see you move and do great things, Lord. So please, we pray, be true to your promises and help us to walk in faithfulness. I pray for those, God, who have been waiting a long time, waiting for their circumstances to change, waiting for people to change, waiting for change in their own lives, Lord. Strengthen them today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Encourage their hearts to trust in you, to walk by faith, to know that you are good, that you are true to your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.